You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has just released their new shotgun called the Renegade. The Renegade is tough, reliable, and ready for anything. Whether you're busting clays, dropping ducks, or whacking turkeys, Renegade is built to withstand tough use in extreme conditions. For more information about the Renegade shotgun, visit savagearms.com slash renegade welcome to the land and legacy podcast we're your hosts adam keith and matt die this is your number one resource for all things land if you're interested in conservation habitat management hunting strategy and rural real estate this is the podcast for you Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the Land of Legacy podcast. You know, I almost said something, Matt, to kick this off, but I thought, you know, every other podcast is probably going to be doing it. I almost said, hey, all you cool cats and kittens, but I'm not even sure you've watched it yet, have you? I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I figure there's oh, man. 80% I, of the podcasts are out there are launching it this week or last week saying, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. So. We're just going to say welcome back to the Land Legacy Podcast. Once again, guys, thanks for joining us during this quarantine time. Um, hopefully you guys are finding time to get out and enjoy the outdoors with some social distancing. But Matt and I are once again recording with some social distancing. He's calling in, and uh, we are getting some cabin fever for sure um, and thinking a lot about turkey season. Um, we're recording here today. It's the last day of Missouri youth season. Um, our good friend Seth Harker's been hard at it. Um, of course, my daughter's too young, and we are trying to keep some social distancing, so we're not hunting, uh, which is crazy to think about Missouri's youth season's open and we're not in the woods. Matt, you joined Seth and Trace last year, but uh, due to this whole pandemic, you didn't join them this year. So, uh, yeah. It's a, a very awkward time, and, and I know it's it's like I love I love like all seasons, right? But there's something about just being out in the woods, whether you had a gun or you're filming whatever it is, in the spring, like just waking up to the spring mornings. And man, right now I, I'm I am missing that. Um, it's kind of tough to justify going down just to be able to uh, listen for a bird to gobble, just to be out there. And it's like, daggum it, I know we need to be doing our best. Everyone needs to be doing their best to stay at home and, and keeping that distance. But, man, it's just – it's kind of been tough because in in any land manager's um, or landowner's 
time frame right now. There's just so much change that's happening in preparation for food plots, as we'll talk today. And it's like you, you try and be out there and take you know inventory and just be watching all the change that's happening in front of your eyes. But it's it's hurting being here stuck yeah. inside as much as possible. Now, we're getting stuff done and we're making a lot of plans for some really, really neat stuff to come in the future. And I'm very excited about it. It's a good time to have to be able to, to make that and kind of continue to progress land and legacy of the company. But, um, oof, I like spring and I'm sitting here just twiddling thumbs. I, I'm, I feel like an older retired person who, who looks forward to getting up and like walking two miles every day around just, just cause like, I just need to get out. I just need to stretch my legs and do something. But yeah, man. for the people Ooh, that are still gosh. living or that are living on their farms, man, you lucky. I dog. hope they know they're envious <laughs> that we're all envious of them because it's like, man, what I wouldn't give to just be able to walk outside and do some work. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and it's like I can only mow my grass like one time a week right now. Like I don't need to just manicure it, make it look good. Um, so there's only so much time and so many activities that right in a little old place I got right now. It's like, damn it, I can't wait. Yeah, you know, get out of here. Yeah. Oh well. Absolutely. All in due time. Yeah. Well, it'll get back to normal hopefully at some point. Um, hopefully, but uh, before we get started, you know we're going to talk a lot about kind of a hot topic right now. Uh, everybody's getting ready for food plots. Uh, so we're going to be discussing that uh, in great detail today. But before we do that, guys, another reminder that at shoplandandlegacy.com, our conservation caps are available. It's turkey season coming up. We're still shipping, making orders, filling orders. Um, we've got some great hats on there um, that if you're thinking turkeys and you're wanting a cool turkey hat, we've got our our green, loading green, all green cap with the turkey full strut goblin on it. Um, and then we also have the tricolor turkey cap. So once again, $5 of each purchase goes to the National Wild Turkey Federation. And so um, you guys can check them out. Matt, what's your favorite? I definitely like that loading and that turkey patch, man. It, it, honestly, we, we put more of a solid color together to be able to hunt out of and i know that you killed a bird i believe actually in that or yep. very similar color, uh, combo last year and um so it's, it's great to be able to take in the woods and just uh snap some photos hopefully of harvest picks and if you do guys be sure to tag land and legacy on social media would love to be able to see that success and see that hat out there going towards conservation and um just success hunting too because boy it's coming quick if it's not already open in your area but definitely that loading color combo with the turkey patch is a super solid looking hat absolutely all right guys so it's food plot season or getting close um it's definitely on the mind of everybody i don't know if it was a little bit uh, green up happened a little bit earlier this year. Um, a lot of guys are really starting. I even saw a picture today, Matt, on social media. Guy had already planted soybeans. Uh, I'm not surprised, man. There's there's always your go getters. Yeah, it's, well, I don't even know if that's the right word for them or not, but yeah, it's April fifth. <laughs> hey, I did hear this. My cousin 
is um, living in Virginia, and he's got a portion of his his farm ground that's kind of south central Virginia. And um, he's got a buddy who also lives down there. And this was probably four days ago. The gentleman, his buddy, just watched the weather, looked at trends, and he had corn popping out of the ground four days ago. Oh, already. man. That's yeah. crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, this guy was uh, actually a little bit further north than we are in the world. Oh, um, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, he took a big risk. Because, um, yes. you know, I mean, shoot, there's been years we've had snow and hard freezes in, in May. So, um, Oh, yeah. Whew. Well, just yesterday, I mean, I, I was able to get out for just a short time. It was 39 and just cold, rainy. Windy, 39. It was, it was chilly. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Well, there's a lot to discuss on today's podcast devoted to food plots. Um, guys, man, this is like one of the biggest hot topics that we have in our business of, of land consulting is regarding food plots. And, uh, you know, because it is such an attractive, it's a cool thing to do, um, it certainly is something that it seems like as soon as you buy a farm, you like to get into the food plot game. Um, so we're going to devote some time and talk about some of the blends that are available on our store, Shopland and Legacy, or at Stratton dealerships across the country. Um, we've mentioned it in the past that they've partnered up with Biologic. So um, a lot of the dealerships that were carrying um, Biologic seed will likely have some of the blends from Stratton Seed um, that we've helped develop with the Heritage Blend and and uh, a couple of these others. Um, and so keep an eye out on the Biologic dealerships across the country, and you'll likely see some Stratton bags in those stores. So the seed's available, um, and I would be I would challenge all of you to uh, to find a better price on food plot blends. Um, very uh, affordable. That was one of the big things we liked. And then it's quality seed as well. Um, that was one of the biggest, man, looking back, Matt, three years ago when we partnered up with Stratton, it was like, we're looking, they wanted to create some blends. And we said, we want to create some blends. Let's, and they asked yes. us what to put in the bags. And we said this, and they did it. And then whenever we were told the prices, we were almost floored. I remember going, are, are, oh, yeah. that, that is that retail or is that wholesale? And they're like, that's retail. Whoa, that's uh, that's significantly cheaper than than what we have seen in the past. And so, a big uh, savings uh, for you guys. When we're talking a forage, uh, glyphosate tolerant soybean for a suggested retail price, forty bucks for a fifty pound bag, fellas, that is that is a really good deal in comparison to some of the other forage soybeans on the market. So, check them out. They're awesome, awesome products. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we we definitely got super excited when when we're able to throw some of the stuff that we've been testing and uh, putting together for a couple of years into a bag and, and really get it out there. That, that was cool. But then also, you know, there's just that. I, I think I know we'll talk about it later in the podcast, but just that like overwhelming sense that everyone wanting to go monoculture, monoculture. I think the herbicide game and and the introduction of herbicides and last, you know. 20, 30 years uh, has really made people want to go that route. But, you know, introducing 
really diverse blends, I think has really opened some people's eyes to the variety and, and truthfully the options that you have and, and success that you can have when food plotting, uh, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about all the, the, the downfalls and some, some common issues that people have today and, and remedies for that. But truthfully, you and I both know, Adam, a lot of that can be solved with, with blending some forages together. Yeah. And so that was, that was, it was almost like at the same time of, oh man, that would be cool. Let's do it. It's definitely came through as like a solution at the same time. Yeah. Um, excited for it, but, but we knew that it solved a lot of problems for people. And that's why we were behind the scenes testing stuff out and trying to create it because it, it wasn't available. It just flat out wasn't. So, um, no, it's definitely, definitely fun cool stuff and encourage everyone to, to check it out and um maybe maybe with some of these situations that could be applicable to you and and what you're dealing with locally so check out the blends but um which which one do you want to start with here well i think we ought to start with probably my favorite blend for summer forage is the heritage blend um Ooh, yeah which by the way guys um, because it is such a popular blend they're already sold out currently but they will have more back in stock and ready to ship by april 15th um at stratton um <laughs> i think that kind of speaks volumes for the blend because every year they've they've inventoried more and more and uh this year they inventoried a good amount and it's already sold out so they're restocking and trying to get it ready by april 15th yeah, and, and so really it might be possibly a week down, but we can still take orders or you can call and work with them and, and take those orders, but it just may not ship directly right out the door, you know, the next couple of days because of that. But that's a, yeah. a very positive thing. And, and positive to hear because, again, that means we know people are utilizing these blends, Heritage specifically, as that solution. Um, and the cool thing about it is it's such a versatile blend for when we've used it in many different ways from screens to being able to get rid of and treat um uh invasive species in food plots prior to planting this because it can be planted much later outside of what let's just say your typical spring food plot window is absolutely drought resistant and i think that has a humongous play again everyone like wants to confine the the planting windows from food plots uh it's such a short time frame it's like if you don't do it now you're you're screwing yourself over you're missing everything it's like well maybe that's so if you, if you plant one species but if you plant a variety in one given unit you don't have that problem i mean what was last year i think we planted in it, it was, was in late. June. I it was think like it the was, third week of June or something yeah. like that. So, so there's there's a variety of uses for the Heritage Blend. But the Heritage Blend, at the at the core, when we first started blending this, hey, shoot, even before Land and Legacy was created, we were we were working on this blend. Um, and it is it was designed for those guys that have high deer densities that have smaller food plots, or it could be one of each of those, um, to where you've tried soybeans, and you're just like, I just can't do it. And you're like, the only way I can get soybeans is if I fence them. And I think we've been pretty vocal. We don't we don't promote fencing. We don't we don't like the idea of fencing wildlife out of your open areas, especially if they're limited on the farm. It's it's a lot. It's a little bit 
um, kind of, I don't know, it's, it, it always kind of makes me question my wildlife management values or wildlife management principles if, if I'm taking an area and devoting it only for a hunting strategy. Um, and so, yeah. I guess I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like we always consistently talk about management, like let's say the habitat, the areas outside of food plots. It's we want forage and cover so that different species have all those opportunities across all the acres. So it's like, don't in my food plot acres, I also want forage for now and later. And it's like, so if I'm fencing them out, I'm only thinking about potentially later. But again, what we also know is we can create and use different forages. So I do have food now and later without having to restrict them from certain areas. It's like, I'm just going to change my game. I'm not going to use that tool because I, I can plant different things if I know how all these varieties of seeds work together and what they're going to produce. Yeah. So it's just a different, it's a different way of thinking about it and trying to maximize the amount of open acres that you have for food value. Cause you and I both know like how much, you know, time maintenance it takes to put up fences. But like, if you're only doing half an acre at a time, it doesn't take that long from a grain standpoint for deer to wipe out half an acre of grain. It's like, dang, they can do that in a matter of a couple of days. So that window is so, so tiny potentially, not every year, but it can be. Absolutely. What do you think about, you know, a lot of people have said this to us um, and they talk about, they quote our 80 grit management mindset um, and we talk about it so much with, with the overall big picture of, of managing the farm with kind of an 80 grit mentality. But, um, when, when we look at food plots and I think this is probably one of our biggest, our biggest complaints with food plots in general is we kind of take that 80 grit away and it almost goes up to a 360 to 600 grit where it's like you try to fine tune every little detail and it's like you, you end up devoting time away from true land management, true habitat restoration. And the fencing kind of fits that for me. I've heard so many, you hear way more stories about fencing not working rather than fencing actually working. How many times has a person put up a fence? We're guilty of this. We've had a lot of experience with this. Put a fence up. It looks great. It starts working. It's keeping deer out and months go by and then late summer hits, the drought hits and all of a sudden deer get desperate and they start jumping the fence. And then you put all that time, all those resources into it, and then in the last, the month before deer season, it gets wiped out. Well, uh, if, if you think about it, it's a giant utilization cage. It is, yeah. it is screaming to you that that I am lacking elsewhere on the property. So as a land manager trying to maximize and do the most or the best that you can, that I mean, it, it's every time you drive past it during the growing season, it, it's a reminder of, I need to be going and doing work outside of these open areas to be able to actually have enough forage. Like, you know, it's just, it's just screams, Hey, I've got to be doing stuff elsewhere on the property. Absolutely. Yep. And, and so we're kind of hopefully opening your guys' eyes here. Um, kind of a, a good reminder that sometimes it's best to 
all the time it's best to look at the property in in one big unit rather than try to fine tune in certain areas yeah yeah we, so, we got all these acres so let's let's manage them every single one of them um but you know sometimes you know and, and every region is different too and i know we'll get into this when we start breaking down you know after some of these varieties and options that, that stratton's got but um man i i Part of me just wants to jump ahead, but I know we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. So the Heritage Blend was really created, and we couldn't grow soybeans on the family farm. Um, they were just getting over-browsed. And in the meantime, so what we were doing was we were planting them just like everybody else, late late April or early May, and the soybeans were getting over-browsed. And so then we would go June, July, or July, August, where we had some bare ground, and weeds started uh, growing and, and doing really well, and, and we just couldn't really get ahead of the curve. And so we started trying to, to add these blends and finding a way to still provide forage, but also supplement and create a little bit of growth. We got to pick what was going to not be browse and cover the soil rather than nature choosing for us. And whether it be Johnson grass or Cerise Lespides or whatever it was. So we created this blend that has cowpeas, soybeans, millet, milo, sunflowers, buckwheat, and sunhemp. If you want to hear more about the specifics, go back in previous podcasts and you'll hear us talk about each species within these blends and what their purpose is and why they're in it. They're not just thrown in there as filler. There's a reason they're in there. Um, and so like cowpeas, soybeans, buckwheat, sun hemp, and even sunflowers, um, are phenomenal forage during the, during the growing season. Um, they all mine different nutrients. They all do different things. They all have different root structures. Um, but they all provide great forage. The millet and the milo provides a great, um, and even the sun hemp, um, provide great covering on the soil. They provide that armor for the soil, but they also help protect from over-browsing the soybeans, the cowpeas, and the buckwheat. And so you're still going to provide forage, but not it's not a clean, even, open platter for the deer just to spend all night in, browse and browse and browse, and eventually have an over-browse um, food plot. So you have the milo and the millet and the sun hemp to really kind of protect those other species to where if one of them gets browse well there might be another one hiding or growing in kind of a companion uh to the smile or millet and that that works really well and so this blend has become one of our favorites for a lot of applications but specifically if you're the guy going i can't grow soybeans in small food plot what can i grow this is a great option the heritage blend 100 percent. and you know one of the favorite things that i i really really like about this is that it it's not overrun with beans, so it has the potential to be some great late season um, grain, you know. But it's not like chock full of it. And and down south or more southern latitudes, um, man, you can't beat its ability from a drought tolerance and a heat tolerance um, standpoint for the diverse forages. It's got tons and tons of legumes um, that are growing in it. One of the other neat things that we truthfully didn't realize honestly putting it together but have now recommended it on lots of different properties and do it there at the prairie hollow property is utilize it as a screen like when it's growing and it's thick 
man, it is it is a fence. Like it it, it does really really well to screen eyeballs, yeah. road traffic. It almost looks track. like kudzu patch at some point yeah. with all the cowpeas, and it used to have lab lab, and it probably will in the future. But lab lab kind of a little bit short supply on certain years, and so um, it's not in there this year. But it it will just vine and. There's blooms, and it's one of those food plots that when you plant it, it just makes the area alive with birds and bees flying around, buzzing around. Um, Just a very attractive food source for a lot of wildlife. Yeah, you can plant small places. You can plant large openings and then leave some standing along the edges and plant the interior during the fall time frame. So it just has a lot of... It's very uh, usable in in different avenues for for food plotters, so it's fun. Fun to see how people get creative with it, honestly. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Uh, But uh, that's pretty much all in the Heritage Blend for for me. Um, It's it's one of those that, oh, I I guess we should say this. Another big use that we've started using it for is some of our food plots on on the family farm that have had heavy tillage over the years, and we've gone away from that, but we're still dealing with the negative the negative effects of it. Um, we're trying to get moved past that, but um, we have some sp- some species of plants that have kind of been a little bit problematic in certain applications, um, and it's smaller food plots, and I'm talking specifically crabgrass, and if we plant straight soybeans, they're going to get overbrowsed. But if we plant the heritage blend, we're going to deal with crabgrass. And so there's this kind of what do we do? So what we've started... And yet, crabgrass doesn't emerge early enough to be able to spray on like a prior application, of, yeah. a pre-emergent application. And so what we're dealing... What the what we've kind of done to combat that is we'll plant soybeans first, just a, a crop soybean, basically, around make sure it's Roundup ready. We'll plant those beans, and we'll spray um, and knock back any weeds. But then June 1, June... Somewhere early June... We'll spray the whole area and kill the crabgrass, and then we'll drill the heritage blend in and have great success with um, with a new, fresh-growing food plot that that's a little bit more heat-tolerant than the soybeans were uh, and drought-tolerant. So uh, it's worked well for us. So that's another thing if you're looking for ways to kind of combat and figure out different things that are uh, to, to not only provide forage but also keep that soil covered. This is a way, and remove some uh, unwanted weeds. This is how you do it. So, Definitely. anyway, so that's kind of uh, the first, the first blend, and the one that we've grown really, really fond of is the Heritage Blend. You can find it at shoplandandlegacy.com. Um, and the next one um, that is kind of uh, an, uh, another variety similar to the Heritage Blend is the Ancestry. Um, blend i i guess i should mention that the heritage blend is 39.95 uh and it's 41 pound and that 41 pound bag plants one acre so 40 bucks and you can plant an acre of it um but you can't get it till after april 15th because we're temporarily out of stock the ancestry blend is for you arkansas guys um and it's basically instead of having sun hemp which can't be sold in arkansas don't even get us started on that um, but it's sorghum sudan grass that replaces it. Um, very similar, a uh, little bit cheaper. It's 41 pounds uh, per acre, and it's a 41-pound bag. And it's actually only, um, I think it's 24.95. So it's a little bit cheaper. 
um, but it doesn't have the sun hemp. Gosh, that's cheap. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So, yes. Awesome. And so uh, if, lot, you, if you're in Arkansas, now. yeah, very similar benefits. Unfortunately, it doesn't have the sun hemp, but um, you can't you can't sell it in Arkansas. So whatever. Whatever. Anyway, um, Ancestry, check it out as well. Um, when it comes to a, kind of a new blend that we don't use a lot for the simple fact that we have bears, <laughs> it's yeah. the, the Bonafide blend, um, which is it's a it's a blend of glyphosate tolerant forage soybeans and dwarf corn, um, and so it's kind of that you get that question a lot: which one? Which one should I plant, corn or soybeans? Um, which one's better? Well, if you're if one of those guys that like to blend them, this is a pretty good option. It's a dwarf corn, so that ear is a little bit closer to the ground, um, but they are glyphosate tolerant. So if you want to kind of have a blend that's still tolerant to, uh, so you can kill out some weeds, this might be a pretty good option. Uh, we planted it last year, had bears and <laughs> raccoons pretty much eat the ear, so we don't plant a lot of corn where we're at because we're in the we're in the Ozark Mountains with healthy bear population but it, it did happen to be one of the fields that um, there's several encounters with donuts yeah. in as well and so it definitely has a ton of attraction but that that great balance between corn and soybean production so if that's something you've utilized in the path or looking to do it um it definitely has and will yield the results that that you're looking for in a great combination of the two Absolutely. But still yeah. have the versatility of, of addressing any potential weeds that, that may come up. Yep. And so th- there's been several orders have gone out this year for the Bonafide blend, um, which I know there's some guys that jumped all over it because that's what they like to plant anyway. Seth Harker's a big fan of the bo- uh, Bonafide blend. Yes, so, definitely. Is. Anyway, um, another blend available. We're just going to hit on these. You may not be interested, so we're not going to cover them. Uh, a long time. Uh, obviously, Heritage and Ancestry is the most popular and bona fide, but we're going to mention them because they are in the store and we are coming up on that planting season. But um, the Final Flight Waterfowl Blend is on the store. And it's 30 pounds, 30 pound bag, and it's uh, 32.95 uh, per bag. And it consists of buckwheat, Japa, Japanese millet, and proso millet. Um, kind of the the big thing is. Uh, planting it later in the growing season. So you still have stands of food for waterfowl by the time season starts. Um, so if you are running late, you're you're not able to plant, uh, you know, your typical, and I say this in air quote, growing season. Um, you, can't, you can't plant during that April or May, and you're looking into June. This is a, probably a pretty good option for you. And, uh, yeah, so... I just I don't, I'm, I get excited about the different varieties that you have because you know as we go to a lot of different properties, um, there's a lot of people who have that like that one area let's say set aside for waterfowl. They're like I, I'm a, I I really like to hunt deer, but I'm I see ducks here all the time. I've got these opportunities. I'm gonna pick you up a bag, clean yeah. it, see what happens. Or you, you know, if, or if, you've if, got if an area that you're like that you say, hey, you know. I don't know what to do with this area. I've tried to just designate it for ducks or it's it's dry during the summer, but during the fall it ends up getting flooded. This might be a really good option for you. Plant Bingo. something that's going to flood and 
and uh, might be an attractive uh, attractive source for waterfowl. Next one is the Quick Six migratory mix, which is uh, buckwheat, dwarf corn, Japanese millet, proso millet, rice, and milo. Uh, it's sold in a 35 pound bag, and it's about 37 bucks. Um, and it's, you know, another really attractive um, waterfowl blend. But obviously, a lot of our listeners are whitetail, deer, quail guys, so we're not going to cover a lot on it. But uh, it is an option that if you guys are considering it uh, in some of those wet areas, that you're like, I really don't know what to do. I mean, Let's go on the top three questions that Matt and I get. What can you plant in a wet area? <laughs> this yeah. now, now we got something for you. Um, yeah, no, no doubt. And so, anyway, there you go. The quick six. And then the other one that we created um, was kind of designed for those uh, upland guys when you're trying to get a little bit different standing grain. But looking at this blend, you could, you could plant it for deer as well. Uh, it's the wild wings, and it's the milo and um, sunflowers, and then proso millet. Uh, so we're looking tr- looking to create some grain, attract some, uh, attract some insects during the growing season, and then uh, just provide more diversity on your landscape. And it's sold in a 30-pound bag, and it's 25 bucks retail. So, um, you guys, if you're looking to, if you've got some quail or pheasants and you're wanting to add a few, uh, few strips or a few areas for them, this might be an awesome blend for you absolutely i i you know it's kind of one of those things that you can you it says wild wings on it and yeah it's just more bird friendly but um you know just even if you utilized it and planted around the edges of food plots uh and just kind of used it as a buffer kind of like we talked about with with the heritage you know buffer some some forage deer often come out and they eat right along the edge you can allow that to happen with something like this forage throughout the summer, forage in the wintertime, and migrate on out into the more interior of the field. But, um, you know, when, when, when deer have just absolute wide open bare fields, they're given so much opportunity just to over browse. And, and honestly, like that, that cover standpoint from a vertical structure that those species like in, in a wild wings would provide for deer. I think you'd, you'd start seeing more, daylight activity because there's actually structure for the majority of that deer's body because of the height that it grows versus overbrow soybeans. So man, I I just like, I think we have to, as land managers, not only look at forage value and what we have seen like on TV and this and that, and simply just look at the fact of again, how, how are deer naturally browsing and moving across the landscape? And, and shouldn't my food plot look like an ag field? Uh, my, my thought is, no, it, it really shouldn't. Maybe, it, maybe you plant soybeans or Roundup Ready crop for a couple of years to, to really build a really nice foundation, that plot. But afterwards, be, beyond that, get really creative and, and think about it from a, from a, whitetails perspective that's what you're looking to attract to those areas say you know if if i have species with more vertical structure in them that that aren't going to get over browsed during the growing season can i can i increase let's just say the the security the the relaxedness the 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 way deer naturally like comfortably feel feeding there can we almost i don't want to say replicate but can we almost um, mirror what like an old field situation is going to look like by planting 
different crops. And I think we totally can. I think it's good lessons to learn. Maybe you don't have the ability or, or just a really disturbed seed bed and seed bank. You're just looking for something different. Yep. I, like, I, or I just we want to cut back on herbicide use. Right. Uh, like, I just want like, to take that image away of, like, again, it's like it's like going to McDonald's and seeing the Big Mac. I've never ordered one, but I guarantee it wouldn't look like it does on the picture. Same thing with you food. Never you never ordered a Big Mac? No. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. I was like, she goes, have you ever ordered one? I was like, no, I, I never have. Like, I've never eaten one. And she's like, I haven't either. So we're two weirdos, but I guess you are a little young. Um, Never had one because, you know, the Big Mac, I believe. Yeah, I'm almost positive. It's got a piece of bread in the middle, too. So it's got three slices of bread. Um, And by the time you were growing up, carbs became a big deal and people were trying to cut those out. So um, there's only four years difference between us. I know, but man, it was a big deal. Like, do you remember the diet whenever everybody got away from bread? And so there was all these fast food people making uh, sandwiches with lettuce for the bun. Yep. Yeah. So you can say we're only four years different. What? But at the same time, somehow you never had a Mac. So. I think nope. there's four years difference and you came from a different country. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just never, never decided to order one. I, I unfortunately probably ate tons of McDonald's in my life, but I don't know. I just, now it's kind of one of those things like I've gone this long without it. Maybe I'll just try my whole life. Yeah. Well, double, pa- what are they called there? Double, double pounders. I think that's what they were called. That's what I, or McChickens, that's what I used to get. But I haven't had actual McDonald's meal in forever. Um, you know, let's get, let's get back. Uh, so a, a couple things. We've got the soybeans also. We've got the 1.0s and the yes. 2.0s. 2.0s are sold out in the store. The only place you might be able to find 2.0s are at, stra- or at biologic dealers. So tractor supply, couple play, uh, Bass Pro Cabela's. Now that's going to be tricky for a lot of people because of the fact that probably social distancing. Some of those stores are going to be closed down. Um, not sure that food plot planting is considered essential. Um, <laughs> people are going to be going. I swear it's ag. It's for ag use. Um, but. That's that's going to be the only place you'll be able to find the Stratton Wild Game Changer 2.0s. Um, of course, obviously, soybeans are just such a popular food plot variety. It's such a popular thing for people to plant. Um, and, and of course, we, we, we love planting soybean, uh, soybean food plots. And I should say... We love it, but we also don't try to do it a lot. We do it in new food plots when the ground has been disturbed, whether it been dozed out trees or you're converting it from, you know, an old pasture back to a food plot and you're going to be dealing with weeds. That's when we use soybeans a lot um, to try to remove weeds, uh, troublesome invasives, whatever it is. We're trying to get back to controlling what's what is there so we use soybeans a lot they're very attractive if you're in the draw a line in that northern you know even even mid kentucky i guess you could say southern kentucky 
southern Missouri, south Ohio, parts of Virginia, North Carolina, and north standing soybeans during the fall is amazing. But we'll get into this. I guess we can do it now. But when you look at the southern states, the southeast, Georgia, Mississippi, I don't we, – we don't really advocate a lot for – soybean monocultures and standing soybeans during the late season because think about your management window or your your hunting season and your management and trying to devote an entire area to a two-week window when it's the temperatures are going to get cold enough that the deer actually find a really good attractive food source with standing soybeans it's a very you're banking a lot of time and a lot of resources for a very small window of attractiveness yeah, for for sure. I mean, it's a small window of attractiveness if you get it down down there for and, for you know extended period of times. Cold weather, you know, tip, typically you'll get the cold front that pushes in and pushes right back out. It's not like these long you, two week and, time frames where it's just bitter cold. And you might get two or three years out of a five year stretch where it gets cold enough one week of the season like it's a very it's a fraction it's a very fraction if you take a 5 year window you're looking at a just a few weeks maybe not even a month total when you have snow on the ground or really cold temperatures and it's really attractive there's like, other like, resources out there that are much more attractive for a bigger uh period of time i, I get it that like a lot of the the outdoor show stuff comes out of Iowa, North Missouri, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky. Like, I, I get all that. Kansas, I know it. But if you are in South Georgia, you you can't apply those same things and expect the same response, like, out of South Georgia or, or Mississippi. Like, you're, you're just – you're not there, but that doesn't mean that you can't choose to plant another crop that's going to bring in and have a ton of deer and a ton of traction later into the season. A December timeframe in Mississippi is not December in Iowa. It's just flat out not. You're in different regions and different climates. So if that's the case, then you should be managing differently, but, but looking for a similar response, like you're not going to go and, and have the same, exact species of varieties and get the same i guess results and that same response from the wildlife just because they're there in the present what deer choose to forage on at different times of the year is based obviously one on availability but two on whether it even needs it or not yeah and i think that's where people really misunderstand where they try they try to grasp onto one Oh wow! Look at that success over standing corn or standing soybeans. Well, I can have the same thing if I just plant that here. No, not necessarily. It'd be the same thing as a gentleman from Iowa looking at Mississippi and saying, "Wow, he's hunting late December, early January over beautiful stands of clover. I need to plant clover." Yeah, because I want the same work. thing in in Iowa in late December, January. No, you're not going to have it because again, we're two different regions. It just, it just, it's not, it's not like this, you know, side by side mirroring deal. Like you're different. 
that's okay. That's right. But let's just let's just let's just make sure what you plant, what you put time and energy into, is effective for your area. Yep. Yep. You got anything else you want to add on soybeans? Um. I, because I'll I'll say this. Sure. <laughs> How deep do you want to go? <laughs> you know, soybeans are are man. They they've really taken off. Where people just it's like if you got a food plot, you got to have soybeans or deer. Big deer grow because of soybeans, and it's like when you think about the germination time of a soybean. When you put soybean in the ground. And it starts to grow, and it makes it to a stage that the deer can eat. If you then look at a buck or a lactating doe or a pregnant doe, they've been, she's been growing a fawn or had a fawn or his antlers have been growing for a pretty significant amount of time before that soybean is even up out of the ground. Up out of the ground and, and where there's a ton of forage. Like you might have you might have the sprouts out of the field, but truthfully, we're looking at, you know, going into the second week of April right now, uh, there's there's antler growth happening. Like we're we're starting in on that right now. And and those are getting into the late portion of, of their uh, pregnancy where honestly that fawn is truly developing so rapidly where she's needing to take in a ton of energy lactating yeah soybeans probably play a pretty decent role but that's that's throughout the growing season but let's say the fawn gets dropped on may no may 20th well what's our window typically adam for planting here yeah we're looking at probably the first two weeks of may probably yeah probably the first two weeks of may but and then by the time (laughs) it's it's actually six inches tall we're looking at sometime in june yeah, and, and then two, that fawn could start eating green forage two or three weeks after it's born. So, like, you know, again, it's not like it's needing it right then and there. We're, we so commonly misinterpret and understand, again, when a whitetail's critical times are and try and just attribute it to antler production and and lactation or, or better fawning. But really, in reality, that that planting window and beans being available at a large scale, it misses majority of all that. Yep. Yeah, I, I just it's, it's again not to say that soybeans aren't bad and that they're that we shouldn't plant them or, or don't recommend them. Not at all. It's just let's understand what role it is that they that they do play and and know that well if they're not if soybeans aren't you know having that big of a role in antler production and getting started there, well then, then what is like, what, what is something right now that we should have planted that is just kicking into high gear and rocking and rolling? Yeah. Go on. What's yeah. You, sir? I, I'm saying, you know, I, this is why we love perennial clover mixes. Yeah. When you, when you look at that, um, that window of time when, Soybeans aren't growing. Corn isn't growing. Of course, corn doesn't really. That's a whole another podcast in itself. But corn's not providing unless your deer are really hungry. It's not going to provide any food from germination until we're looking at an actual ear of grain, um, mature ear. Yeah. But we're looking at 
what can be drive across right now. I mean, Matt, you and I just drove, went through Brushy Bottom the other day, and green is a gourd. Actually, you didn't even go with me, did you? I, I didn't even see it, man. Yeah, yeah, green is a gourd. I mean, we're looking at three in- – it, it may only be three inches tall or two inches tall, but it's putting off new leaves and it's growing, and deer are hammering it. And we're yeah. we're two months out from high quality forage from soybeans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need we definitely need to keep that in mind. But you know that this this spring flush is super super critical, um, and it's happening right now. We're we're first part of of April. Like you said, we're we're a month and a half away from just really planting and getting seed in the ground, or a month away. And it's like there's a big window in there. We've got we've got four whole weeks. Yes, we we have a ton of, of natives popping and everything too. But again, if we're talking specifically right now on a food plots, we've got to have diverse perennial um, blends. And, and that's exactly why the revival was created and gets planted a ton on a lot of different properties. Because here's the thing, whether you're in Mississippi or Missouri or up in northern Iowa, the spring green up still occurs and that that clover will still respond and be very applicable to those same windows um, all across the board. They play a large, large role in antler production as well as that last trimester for, for fawns. It's, it's a big time. I mean, I guess last trimester for does who are pregnant with fawns, I should say. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's typically planted in the fall. We typically uh, advise planting this um, in August or September. Uh, but also you can frost seed it in February, March, or you can even, depending on where you're at in the country and what your uh, spring rainfalls look like, you can even spring, plant it in early spring. Um, and so yes. it's kind of a wide variety of planting seasons. Uh, typically wouldn't plant it in that late April um, when you're planting soybeans because it's going to be young and trying to grow when summer heat starts hitting. And that's typically when you'll see a lot of these uh, clovers start to kind of go dormant um, since we are dealing with some cool season plants here. But Revival, whew, it ranks very, very, very high on our list of favorite food plot varieties um, with the red clover. Perennial red clover, perennial white ladino clover, alfalfa, and chicory. Um, and that's four and, a half, uh, four and a half pounds in a bag. They sell it in little jugs or bags. Um, it's four and a half pounds, and that is per quarter acre. So if you're wanting to plant yes. an acre of this stuff, you need four bags of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things you had talked about, the, the whole soybean thing, um, is, you know, What's the most common, I guess, reason for people planting soybeans or, or the desire? We kind of already talked about it, but it's typically for that late season grain opportunities, correct? I mean, that, that's typically what I hear, what I see. Yeah, they, they're going to eat a ton of it. But, like, it's almost as if people get really disappointed in in the fact that, like, deer over-browse them or they browse them really heavily and they don't get grain production, but I guess to talk a little bit about that is, well, you're, they're still getting good value out of it during the growing season, even if they are browsing hard, that's great. But 
but we're asking us a lot out of one plant, one species to, to provide so much. But it's like, again, going back to the beginning of the podcast, it's like we could, we could put a couple species together and where, where one has grain and one has really dynamic um, forage value during the growing season and, and let, let them eat the growing season forage, but then the grain grows up amongst it. And it's like, why, why do we get so disappointed in, in, in soybeans that they don't make grain when, one, they provide a great growing, I mean, growing season forage, but then, two, if we wanted grain, but we also wanted leafy green broadleaf legumes during the summer, then we could just plant a blend. Yep. I, I don't quite understand, like, why does it have to be a soybean? Why, like, why does it have to be like that one plant where we could totally achieve the exact same things that you want by, by planting two, three species or going up to like the heritage, which is a ton of them. But, you know, it's like, why, why can't we break that mold of soybeans are at final stage done? They're great. And they can be used better if you just use them differently in, in a tool. You know, it's a tool in a toolbox that we always talk about. Yep. And, and I think just, when, when yeah. you look back at these mixes, when you go with heritage, it's like, when do you use heritage? For all you guys, kind of do a wrap-up as we go into kind of uh, techniques and different uses here. But when you look at heritage blend, it's it's a it's a great option for those small food plots. Um, second planting during the summer. Um, if, if your first food plot failed, it's a, it's a great option. It's also a great option for screening, um, or edges of the food plot. That's kind of all the things that we use it for. Um, if you're looking for, when you go to soybeans, if you're considering soybeans, think about it like this. Are you in southern southern kentucky or south are you are you south of kentucky south of ohio south of missouri um soybeans probably aren't a great option for you there's there's better more attractive things that can provide more benefits during more months of the year if you're north of that how high are your deer numbers are you in an area that has incredibly high deer numbers then soybeans especially small food plots probably not a great option for you um, definitely it, go back and listen to last week's podcast if if you find yourself in that situation a lot of good information there on, yeah. on deer numbers and so if you're if you're thinking soybeans and you're in the if you're thinking standing grain and you're thinking soybeans and your biggest food plot is one acre and you already have too many deer probably not a good option we need to go with something else yeah um so if you're in southern Missouri, north, southern Kentucky, north, southern Ohio, north, you can consider soybeans, or you should consider soybeans. If you have high deer numbers, which is probably three-quarters of those areas north of what we just listed, so <laughs> you're going to have to yeah. shoot some does or plant bigger food plots or help su- uh, substitute or add more food on your property through habitat restoration. But soybeans probably, they fit, a, they're, like Matt said, a tool in a toolbox. They shouldn't be just, oh, it's open area. Let's plant soybeans. doesn't work like that. You're going to be upset with your results. Um, going I mean, to- if, if I'm a deer and I've got soybeans available to me, I'm going to eat them during the summer. I'm, I'm just going to. Like, there's, there's no reason why you wouldn't. But 
if you want that late season grain, yeah, you, you got to think outside the box. Yeah. Um, and then for, for that. go on your ancestry blend, all the benefits of heritage blend, but you're in Arkansas. That's when you should use ancestry blend. <laughs> or if you want to go with a cheaper option and you're looking more from a screening aspect, um, you can use the ancestry blend. Bonafide blend is going to be attractive during the growing season once those soybeans get up, but it's also going to be a mix of standing grain during the late season. Um, pretty good option. Probably not the best option for small food plots, especially those small kill plots. Um, then if you're a waterfowl guy and you're planting late, final flight is probably a good one. Um, you're planting late in the summer and you miss that first window. If you didn't miss that first window, quick six is a great option for you. Um, and then if you're looking for providing an attractive uh, area for birds, um, as well as edge of food plots, as well as those little odd areas where you're just like, I want to plant something, but I don't necessarily want it to be real attractive during the fall, but I want something to be there for the wildlife, wild wings is a great option. Um, we yeah. mentioned revival, even though we typically sell more of that in the fall or late summer, it is something that you can plant, um, which honestly, we've kind of, we're in, we're in that area where three out of five years, we're going to have cold temperatures during hunting season. Um, and so we have to have some standing grain if we want that real attractive late season hunting spot. But we also get some pretty hot summers. Soybeans may not do so well. We have a lot of timber, so we don't have a lot of open areas. So we try to plant a lot of revival. And uh, revival is, I mean, I'd be real hard-pressed. If you had to pin me in a corner and you said, I can only plant one food plot this year, what are you going to plant? I would have to know where I'm at, what the site looks like. But revival is probably going to be my choice. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think it's funny because, like, I, I talk with a lot of people, and um, I, I don't know what it is about clover blend. And I, and I, I want to stress, like, the blending portion of it, not just straight white clover um, across, or you know, Ladino or, or Patriot clover. I don't, you know, we're talking a blend of perennial broadleaf plants legumes um that are similar to clover but that blending all together one plot is really really attractive and i think that there's almost like this like stigma of if i don't have to bust out the big equipment put in you know hours into the food plot plant these larger seeds with my big drill versus going in and broadcasting prior to a rain and doing very minimal like disturbance and then simply, you know, maybe, maybe, um, uh, mowing or just doing some spot treatments for managing that clover stand. It's like, it's like this, like if I put in more time and energy and money into this soybean plant, I'll get more out of it where it's like, or I could plant a revival blend and not do as much work and the benefit. And honestly, the time frame in which, throughout a year that I get as well as not just one year, but several years if I take care of that is so much greater and economical and time management wise. I love clover. Yeah. Like I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think Especially with that the, chicory mixed in it's, it's, yeah, you, you're going to have I, I, more years, less seed inputs, less fertilizer and soil amendments, most likely. 
um, less maintenance, less herbicide, um, but more year round attraction. Yeah. Way, way more. And, and, it, and it's cool because when you have a perennial base, one, the ground's covered, but then two, it also does give you the, the flexibility if you desire. And what we recommend from a, a maintenance standpoint is you can totally add in other varieties. You know, we're always recommending planting wheat um, or you could do oats or cereal rye throughout it during the fall time frame. But that gives you additional forage and a different window in which that can be, um, let's say that that time frame of beneficial forage can be almost extended to year round when you go ahead and plant those small grains into a clover stand. It's like it's a incredible foundation to work off of. And, and truthfully, too, you know, if it's a perennial, you you get sometimes too much rain during the spring and you can't hardly find a window in which to plant uh, um your soybean say if you're you're planting in bottom fields you might have high water to cross or you might have really muddy fields and you can't get in there until june july well like if that's all that you have from a food plot standpoint we've missed so much opportunity whereas if i had a bigger base of perennial blends you don't really have to worry about them, you know? Yeah, and, and speaking of the revival and why there's two, diff, diff, I guess, three different types of legumes in there is um, that, that white clover really peaks in that May time frame when mm-hmm. red clover is going to peak in that June, early July time frame. Yes. Um, and then, of course, chicory is coming on and, and doing great during that early fall time frame, which then the clover starts to pick back up after the summer heat. And then the alfalfa kind of fills that void all in between. So, yes, it does. It's it's a really nice blend that um, provides a ton of forage, uh, attracts a lot of insects with all those blooms, and then also yes, is relatively low maintenance. Yeah, you know, it, let's let's say to to give like an example of how much personally there there's a desire to establish it and have it as part of a food plot regime. Um, what is it there at the Prairie Hollow property? Like roughly just under six acres were was dozed in for food plots, correct? You know, a couple yep. of years ago, yep. people about seen five and a half successful hunts um, out of those. I would say this last fall, two to two and a half acres of of those five and a half, yeah, um, were devoted and planted to revival, and the rest will be you know swapped back and forth between. Um, soybeans and heritage blend but it's like that's that's half the acreage of the open areas in big timber ground that hey we know the value of revival let's plant it we need this um security to uh, to be able to hunt over like i say there's places that could be tough to get to or get equipment to if you got high water or or um any, any other given complications to a growing season or gets super dry and soybeans die well there's other forages up there in those open areas that are extremely beneficial to deer other wildlife during the summer for sure for sure um i i I just man really really like the revival blend and i think it's important to note in this podcast you know we're coming up on on spring 
um, or we're coming up on uh, we're coming up on summer actually because we're already in spring. But we're talking about um, let's talk a little bit about this clover maintenance. Let's say you've established your clover plot last year, but you noticed yep. some weeds coming in, some winter annuals this winter. Um, or you knew there were some weeds last year and you're going to try to address them this year. There's, there's all kinds of different ways. There's certain, there's different herbicides you can use. Raptors become a very popular one. The thing about the herbicides that you would use in a clover plot, let's say a grass-specific herbicide or a broadleaf-specific herbicide, all of these are, are relatively more expensive or sometimes a lot more expensive than the generic glyphosate that we often use. And so looking at it from the aspect of weighing out your, your priorities here and going, what are the weeds first? Why is it important to remove that weed? Is it so important to remove them that I'm going to spend a good amount of my land management budget for the year to remove those weeds? Or could I just knock them back with mowing um, or a spot application of glyphosate, yes, I am going to kill the clover that's immediately around that weed or that patch of weeds, but how can I fix that? How can I cr- take a crutch through this growing season, get ready for top dressing it next fall with the revival blend or a blend, uh, a perennial blend like, like I currently had planted? So let's talk about, go ahead, Matt. Oh, that's a great point. So, and then the other thing that um, we see a lot, and, and we're not in any way, shape, or form like like anti herbicide, but but I see so much. It's like maybe maybe twenty percent to fifteen percent of a food plot has got. Let's just say it's an issue with a broadleaf weed. The entire thing is the entire food plot is sprayed. Yet. Yeah. What is being sprayed is a um, contact herbicide. Like it has to make contact with that weed to be taken in. And it's like you're telling me you had an acre worth of clover, but really only maybe at most two tenths of that acre was weeds. But you sprayed a whole entire acre's worth and mixed, um, used that herbicide for an entire acre. It's like what? Yeah, that kind of was a waste when you think about it. Could you have just either mixed up and spot sprayed, taking a little bit more time to drive around the food plot or, or walk the food plot and just spot spray those areas um, versus doing just the entire food plot. Because in the end game, it, it saves you money. And two, if you don't have to even use that herbicide, Adam, like you talked about, maybe you could mow it or maybe you could just say, man, this is a very minor problem. I, I have so much good here. Why don't I just completely you just use glyphosate and just target that one yep. bad spot and get rid of it. And you can, I mean, shoot, there's, you can sprinkle, I don't care, buckwheat or, or something else. Even, just kinda shade even it. throw in buckwheat milo or buckwheat millet or sure uh, sunflowers. There's all kinds of, applic- of things you could put in there just to get and, you through this summer, still provide an attractive food source. The most important thing is not to leave it bare ground because you're just asking for more weeds. Plant something yeah. back there and get some shade on that ground so it doesn't stimulate or ger- cause any other weed seeds to germinate in the soil. But, but let's say worst case scenario, Adam, that someone doesn't, go back and plant 
and ragweed pops up, which would be a pretty common thing to see in an area like that. That that would be, you know, in a lot of places, someone could, someone could experience that. It's not the end of the world either. If ragweed pops up in that no. small little, and, and we're, what we're talking, maybe, maybe the size of a car hood in a food plot that's of an acre size. So what? 98% of that surface area is spectacular. I think, I think revival blend is like six to 7,000 pounds of, of forage per acre. And it's like, so what if you got a little bit that isn't like perfect again, it's that big Mac expectation um, that you're going to get. Everyone's dealing with weeds, like everybody, but if it's ragweed that comes back, I got bigger things to worry about than that. Yeah. If ragweed is the weed that comes up in our clover plot, big relief. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's a great, again, it goes back to the umbrella-shaped um, uh, structure that it can provide for some pulse. So if, even if and high-quality like, forwards for the deer. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, I, I just, you know, it, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but kind of make a short explanation or a long explanation short it's kind of like we can't go into the timber and just have this uniform application or treatment like you need to look at each individual tree and know like what's the role of this tree can i change its role or its function here and make it do something else same thing with weeds and food plots like what composition is it here in the food plot and and is it actually can it provide benefit if it is here? Do I need to stress or do I need to worry about it? But you can't necessarily make those decisions unless you know, one, first, how to even identify the weed. And then two, know its life cycle. And if it's forage or it can be cover for one of the species that you're trying to promote, without that information, you're going to look at it. And all you're going to see is just bad because it's not clover, alfalfa, chicory, and, and you're, you're going to be mad. Yeah, but I, I, I think my piece of advice that I would say is if you find something growing in your food plot that doesn't match what picture was on the bag when you bought this food plot blend or you don't believe it is clover or whatever it is that you planted, first and foremost, ID through use the iNaturalist app, use Seek app. Use an app or use a book Plant to I, yep. ID what is growing. And then once you figure it out, know if it's native or non-native. And, man, this is like the ongoing joke that we say, but dadgum natives are always trying to grow in my non-native food plot. Have a little perspective <laughs> yeah. of going, all these varieties that we're talking about have been around and been used for years and years. None of them are invasive, considered invasive species. Um, but there are a lot of invasive species that are typically perennials um, are a lot of the really bad ones that we deal with. But at the same time, think about it big picture and go, okay, is what I'm planting providing the same benefit that that weed, so-called weed that I, is growing in my food plot? Because, for example, I'll use a little bit of a story. Rushy Bottom, one of our uh, where we have perennial, uh, it's our re- revival blend. It's growing really well. On the on the south end of that plot, every year, jewelweed goes crazy. And it used to yes. be like, okay, here's our food plot. Let's spray everything and let's plant it in beans or whatever. And we'd spray it. And none of this stuff really grew other than soybeans. Um, planted it in this revival blend. And 
now we have a few weeds, but it's always like we keep it mowed. And every time I go down there, I look and I'm like, ah, nope, it's just jewel weed. And I don't mow it because it's like, man, that provides so many nutrients and so many benefits to a, a plethora of species. Deer browse the heck out of it. It's covered up in bees most summer. Um, and Do you and know what the protein level is of jewel weed? Oh, goodness, what is it? 24? 20, 27%. <laughs> <laughs> Even better it's than like, soybeans. It's like, come on. Yeah. 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 Just, it's like, guys, we can, we can totally leave it. And, and, and like, save money, save time, not trying to get rid of it. Yeah. We just, we just have to have the knowledge of what it is you're looking at to, to put yourself at ease. Yeah. And, um, I mean, honestly, it's, it's funny. Cause Adam, like, I remember we, we've done with the QMA co-op and stuff like that, had, um, people over, uh, to do some tours and stuff like that. And, um, it was like, I don't really care what the food plots look. Cause I can probably go out there and, and showcase, okay, here's mayor's tail. Here's, here's ragweed growing a weed guys growing in these food plots but I can take one more step and find browse on those individual species as well. Like it, yep. It's going to be okay. <laughs> They're be here currently. Mare's tail and ragweed is like, it seems like two of the worst ones where people just hate them. But yeah. It, they're a product of their environment. You know, if you leave ex- soil exposed, you create some sort of disturbance. They're going to be there, most likely. And guess what? Yeah. In three years without that disturbance, their their population is significantly lower. And five years later, probably don't even see it. It takes that disturbance to stimulate those seeds and those plants. And pff, they're not a big whoop. They're native, and it's it's not a problem. Yeah. I mean, they, they, again, they, they're providing a, a role and a function um, that deer are positively responding to. So yeah. if it's positive for the species you're trying to promote unless it is at a super dense concentration i'm really not going to worry about it i mean shoot we we did an experiment last year where it was let's just not even apply herbicide from from the fall planting into the growing season planting let's just not even do it we know there's going to be some weeds but let's just see how bad quote unquote the weed pressure is and um the only plant i think that came up that was like mm, i'd really not like to see that one was a little bit of cerecelestides of which we were again able to go in and spot treat or pull and it the rest of the food, <laughs> it was so yeah, little we pulled it when we were out there looking at it but it's like yeah. again we would have we would have spent an entire day planting i mean uh uh spraying going over spraying oh yeah spraying the whole food plot um when in reality the composition of bad weeds that came up were so so small it's like man this is silly i maybe maybe from now on out we we'll we'll just rotate fields and say only one of them gets sprayed prior to an application and some other weeds come up so what it's okay it's not it is not the end of the world yep we're cutting our herbicide use in half yeah if not more if not more yeah yeah so a lot of things to consider we are coming up on food plot planting season, so hopefully you guys learned something here, um, and we kind of uh, helps help save you money, help save you time, 
um, and help you understand the difference in southern management and northern management. They are two totally different types of things. They should be handled differently. Food plot species should be different. Um, all kinds of different things that should go on in, in different uh, regions of the country f- to maximize the productiveness of your farm. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think, I think that's a good kind of synopsis is going into growing season, uh, food plot planting. The gears are turned and a lot of people are, are ordering seed and getting ramped up for that. It does take some preparation and some thought process, but um, all in all, you know, if you've got if you've got variety, if you have diversity, if you have good forage, good quality um, vertical structuring fields and stuff like that, man, I think you're going to all around have extreme success in your food plot planting this year. It's not like there is a ratio of clover to grains and vice versa. We should say one yeah. thing too before we jump off is if you're considering going to a perennial clover mix like revival um, and it's been planted in various things and you do know there's a good amount of non-native plants or weeds in this area probably what we would recommend is going to a roundup or glyphosate glyphosate tolerant soybean or crop to remove those weeds during that growing season so you can prepare for planting a perennial clover blend like the revival next august or september we yeah, didn't mention yeah. that before so if you are planning on doing that or if you're planning on planting native native species for bedding it's probably a pretty good deal to plant the same thing roundup ready soybeans or corn um to to remove those weeds and get that seed bed ready for something like a pure air natives blend like we've talked about in so much in the past yeah, and, and a lot of people are putting putting some diverse blend, native blends into um, their rotations of uh, you know open areas, and so that's pretty cool to see. But it, it does take the the proper steps ahead of time preparation to get those um, areas definitely ready. And, and I guess you know to kind of piggyback on what you said there, Adam. It's like yeah, we just we just came from talking about some weeds being okay in, in areas, but then going into, okay, we're going to use a glyphosate tolerant uh, crop to be able to remove weeds. It's like, guys, all of this, we have to remember that, that balance. It's like some weeds are fine. Like it's, it's not the end of the world, but if you have too many, it, it, it can inhibit or um, uh, interfere with the success of other planting. So again, with everything in life, with everything in habitat management, you have to go in a balance and, and the proper composition will get you the results that you're looking for. So it's like we don't go and say burn every acre you own every single year. It's, you know, We're doing some rotations. We love, love, love prescribed fire, but we wouldn't want the entire property to be burned in one year. No. Same thing with weeds. Yep. Well, hopefully um, you guys can take some of these and use them on your farm, save yourself some time, save yourself some money, uh, but increase your um, wildlife usage on your property. Matt, final thoughts? Without a doubt, no. I think that's that's a fantastic wrap-up. But um, do just want to remind everybody, if, um, if they're interested, to go check out our buddy Nathaniel's website, Niangua Coffee. Um, 
I think that's definitely fly down roast is, is certainly available right now um, and great for this time frame. Yeah. Spring turkey hunting. So in a N I A N G U A coffee.com. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next week. See ya.